Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad finishes his sermon series called Psalms of Summer as he speaks from Psalm 51 about a heart of repentance and being washed whiter than snow. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Good morning, Impact Church. How is everybody doing? Good? Today, of course, is September 11th, and we know of the uh, um, devastating um, day that that was uh, over 20 years ago now. Hard to believe it's been that long when uh, the terrorists flew into those towers. So what I want to do first and foremost is is, uh, have just a a moment of silence and prayer over the lives that were lost. And also, as, as we have this moment of silence and pray to ourselves here, what I want us to do is, if you remember at that time, when that first happened, yeah, there was a, a, a rise in, uh, I guess what you would call patriotism, but, but more than that, there was this acknowledgement and seeking of people going back to church. I don't know if you remember that or not, but people were seeking the Lord, albeit fleeting and went away really fast, part of which we'll talk about today, there was this return. So we need to pray for absent of a catastrophe like that, that the, the word of the Lord would fall upon this nation and people would return to the Lord. So let's have that prayer as we remember the lives that were lost, the families affected, and for God to intervene in hearts and lives. Amen. So guys, as we move forward today, we're going to wrap up our Psalms of Summer series today. And some of y'all be like, it's about time. It ain't summer no more, Brad. You know what I'm saying? Well, it kind of is until I guess what, September 20th or 21st, whatever it is. All right. But we're going to wrap it up today. And uh, so, and we're going to close this in a way that's going to lead us into our next sermon series. And uh, I'm about as uh, nervous as a chicken in a fox den to tell you what the next sermon series is because it's going to require a lot of studying and understanding on my part that I'm going to have to trust the Lord to give me as we're going to start the book of Revelations next Sunday, all right? So I'm glad y'all excited because if, if y'all want to know where I'm at over the next like eight to ten months, I'm going to be my nose in this and in commentaries all the time studying. So a lot to dive into today, but what we need to understand, guys, before we go into Revelation is one word, repentance. We need to understand what that is, and that's not a popular word in church anymore, but unfortunately, it's very biblical and real. And it's all through the book of Revelation. In fact, the prophecy, the revelation of Jesus Christ is what revelation is. And he's calling out to his seven churches to do what? Repent. So why is that a dirty word in church? Better not be. So what we're going to do today is dive in and understand what repentance is. All right? We need to look at that. As I was studying and going through everything, even preparing this message today, there was one pastor commentary or whatever that had made a comment out there and he said that the Bible doesn't really define or or, uh, give a clear understanding of repentance. I'm like, "Eh, wrong answer. I don't know whose ears you're trying to tickle, buddy, but uh, you better repent yourself, all right? Because the Bible does not only state repentance, but gives very clear definitions of what it looks like. This is a psalm, if you look at the title of your psalm, many of you, Psalm 51, it'll start by saying a prayer of repentance. I bet you find the definition of it in there, don't you? We will. We will. Hey, God's word's alive, and what we're going to see is, is repentance is something that is not for us to run from, but something for us to run to. There's a big difference. You see, the 21st century American church wants to run away from repentance. We don't want to hear about it. But God wants us to run to it because inside of it, he revives us, he restores us, gives us new life, gives us joy. I don't know about you, but I want to hear about that. 
If that's something that would give you joy, unspeakable, that, that would restore to you something that maybe was lost by the things of this world and sinful lifestyles and just our fleshly nature, wouldn't you want that restored, that joy? David finally come to that point in this psalm, and he put it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for us to hear and go through. So I want to open us up in this message today by realizing that um, if any of you are familiar with a surgical process, all right? Now, you may not perform surgery, but what you realize is when you go to the operating room, there's a team of doctors and nurses around you, and they're using stuff called instruments, right? Pieces of metal, okay? And they're using it to perform and do the surgery in your body. So when they open up your chest cavity or your gut, they put these instruments in there, these clamps, these forceps, these different things are all in there. And then check this out. They reuse them. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, so the stuff that is, was maybe in your body during surgery used to be in somebody else's gut and chest cavity. That'll just give you a really warm, fuzzy feeling, won't it? But check this out. Here's what I want to get to. There's a process that these instruments have to go through so they can be used again. It's called sterilization, right? And, and here, here's the truth. Most hospitals, most surgical teams don't do it themselves. It's not the doctor, doctor's job to sterilize the instruments. Now, they have a sterile technique they go through where they have to wash their hands a certain way. Somebody has to put on their gloves and all that kind of stuff. They have a sterile technique that, that's important. But then also those, those pieces of equipment, those instruments, they send away to get sterilized most times. In other words, they can't do it themselves. You see, repentance in us is a sterilization process through the Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Christ at Calvary, and we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot initiate it, nor can we complete the act of repentance on our own. It is totally and completely an act of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's what it is. Not of works, so that no man can boast, right? It's repentance. It is of the Spirit. So as we dive in here today, we want to look at what David's going to see, and that's when his eyes were open to his need to be sterilized. He couldn't do it himself. His need to be clean, to be made white as snow, for the joy to be restored in him so that he could be used again by the Lord. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we praise you for your word that we're about to dive into today, Father, because we know that your word never returns void. Lord, your word brings life, gives life. Lord, that you made possible by your gift at Calvary where you laid down your life so that we could be forgiven. Their debt was paid. So Lord, now your invitation for us is to return, to come to you to be restored, renewed, revived. Lord, to be repentant, that we could be cleaned, that we could have clean hands and a pure heart to be used by you, to be vessels, to be used again for your glory, Lord. No matter what, what stuff we had been in in the past, Lord, you sterilize us through the blood of Jesus, through the power of your word that you move us to repentance and your spirit guides us to a healthy new life of joy. So Lord, right now I pray as we dive in to Psalms 51 that you would speak. Lord, that you would show us the definition of repentance and what it looks like, what the heart of repentance is. So Lord, that we could leave here changed. And Lord, you're about to get glory and we give it all to you for everything you're about to do in this place and in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 51. And what I want to do first is, before we read it together, is kind of explain what this is. And, and each psalm will kind of have a little explanation of, of what the psalm may be about in most cases. And in this one, it does, because it entitles itself, a, to, after saying it's a prayer of repentance, as to the chief musician, all right? A psalm of David, all right? When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. 
All right, to keep it PG, we don't need to explain that one. We know what happened. If you know that story, you can go catch uh, up on that later in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, okay? And you can know this whole story and this process. But what's going to happen is the title of the psalm is alluding to is now David's plea. Once Nathan had come to him, he had already sinned multiple times. Lust, adultery, murder, lying, everything that he had done and then tried to live with that sin and and just fill with pride and everything else and almost running from the Lord in acknowledgement of what he had done. So here Nathan comes to him in 2 Samuel and just calls him out. And so what we see here in Psalm 51 is the result of David's heart when he was called out by his brother, when God's word came to him. And what we're going to see is a is how we should respond as believers, as followers of Christ, when we are called out in our sin, either by a brother in Christ who does it in a spiritual way, and there's scripture to back that up, or by the word of the Lord itself. How do you and I respond? Because here's the truth. Most people don't respond very well when you call them out anymore. It's very unfortunate. They bow up, justify, blame shift, point back at you. It's not healthy. It's not biblical. It's not what David did. Because what David did was have this true heart of repentance. So it's necessary that we look at this, understand his heart, so that we understand repentance. If this is a prayer of repentance, it's giving us the handles on it that we need or what it looks like. All right? What we're going to see is is the key right here that David's looking for is repentance, to be restored, renewed, to be used again, to fall and confess his sin, to go on a new path and direction. And it's the key for the possibility for the reversal of life circumstances that have fallen upon us as a result of sin. It's the key. And it's not just a one-time fleeting moment. We're going to see that it's a lifestyle of repentance. It's a different heart, a different spirit a new life, all right? So as we get into this, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll kind of look at why repentance is necessary. Then we'll kind of go expositionally through this text, and then we'll do some explanation, biblical explanation of repentance. So let's go. Let's read Psalm 51 together. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. That's a big one. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Mm, That's a big one. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your 
Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a whole lot in there. And we're going to go through it as quickly as I can. But I want to take the moment and ask this question. Why is repentance necessary? I want you to think about that. Why is it necessary? Because you're going to find the, the repentance or this or its synonyms return all throughout Scripture, the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Go read just about every epistle that Paul wrote, and he's calling people to what? Turn away from sin. Go read it. The Bible is about repentance. It's about calling God's people back to himself, to in a right relationship with him, in a right walk. That is Scripture. You can't preach salvation, you can't preach sanctification without repentance. People try, but it's a false gospel. It's a partial gospel, and it's dangerous. Repentance is necessary. Why is it necessary? Because of the existence of sin. That's why. What is sin? That's not a popular word to say or preach on anymore in in church, but it's a biblical word. Again, all throughout Scripture, repentance is necessary because of sin. Sin, what is sin? Sin is any violation of God's standard. That's it. Any violation of God's standard is sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a bad habit. It's not a genetic predisposition. It's sin. And it separates us from a holy God. And it needs to be addressed properly, biblically, scripturally. So let's look at it. Any violation of God's standard. James expounded upon that in James chapter 4 and said, even anybody who knows what they should do and doesn't do it, what is it called? Sin for them. So if you know what God's laying on your heart, you know what you should be doing that pleases God, or you know what you shouldn't be doing that upsets the heart of God, and you do it anyway, what's that called? Sin. Does it have to be laid out directly in the Ten Commandments then? No. Anywhere all throughout Scripture where you know what is worldly, what is not, what is flesh, what is of the world, what is of yourself, what is of pride, any of that that we choose to do in the face of God is sin. Any of it. That just kicked the door wide open. And what is sin? Sin's an archery term, really, and it means to miss the mark. What's the mark when you're shooting a bow? Better be the bullseye, all right? It better be. If not, you're not shooting an apple off my head. You know what I'm saying? You better be trying to hit the bullseye in archery. So sin is the distance that you miss the bullseye. That's sin, all right? Here's the truth. In our lives, some of us, some of us, just miss it by a little bit. Some of us miss it by a whole lot, but regardless, we all have sin. Nobody can hit the bullseye spiritually except Jesus because he's God. Got it? So we're all off the mark in some way. So we all are necessary and required to move toward repentance in some fashion. So this is a message for all of us. None of us are without sin. How will we deal with it? Why? What is this bullseye spiritually? It's God and his righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. Because we know God is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. Get this. His creation and his plan, his plan, his creation is perfect. It's right. So therefore, anything that goes against him, his word, or even his plan and creation is sin. So that if we deviate from the way God planned for us to live in relationships between a man and a woman, it's sin. If we deviate from anything that God designed, it's sin. It's his plan. He's holy. You know, in the same way that we don't like things that stink, right? 
Nobody goes up to an old rotten dumpster of trash and just goes, yeah, that's good. I mean, unless you had COVID, you might be able to do that. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't smell it. You, you like freak somebody out. All right. But that's not normal. That's not what you do. You don't go to a big old pile of dung, man. Just, yeah. Mm-mm. We don't like stuff that stinks. In the same way, God doesn't like sin because it stinks. It's against his nature. It's against who he is. He cannot be in the presence of that. Just like we don't want to be in the presence of the stench. He can't be in the presence of the stench of sin. He's too holy. He would go against himself and would would be absent of his integrity as God if he did. Given a little picture there, spiritual explanation we know in Scripture that it says that sin brings death. It brings consequences and it brings death. We know Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.23, and in Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So inside of that, we see the context that it's talking about an eternal separation. Okay, we're going to look at that. James 1.15 says that when, when we have these sinful desires, it gives birth to sin. And, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. All right. And what we're looking at is not just a physical death. Okay. Yes, that's the consequence, a, the curse of sin. All right. In Genesis, that, that now um, man's days would be numbered and there would be death and, and pain and all that stuff that we know. But death here, as we look through scripture, yes, there's physical death, but it's more talking about a spiritual death, a separation. You see, even physical death is a separation. Physical death is the separation of your spirit, your soul, from the physical body. So that the physical body is useless now. Because the spirit, the soul, has left it. In the same way, our spiritual death is the same way. That our faith, our walk, is useless because the spirit of God had to leave it because of unrepentant sin. Separation. Death. Okay? And it's about this personal relationship that God wants to have. And so here, God wants fellowship with us in his creation, but it's broken when sin is present and unrepentant. I'm going to say it again. Fellowship with God is absent when sin is present and unrepentant. Oh, I know people still try to claim it that are living in unrepentant sin, but it ain't there. You say, hold up, Brad. Where's the scripture on that? You can go read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. It says, God is light. In them, there's no darkness at all. Check this out. It says, if we, see, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's not my words. That's your Bible. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, lie. Not practicing the truth. It's pretty strong words. I think 1 John's necessary to go through expositionally, maybe after Revelation. There's a lot in there. So what does sin do? Separates. Causes what? If something's separated, now what's in the middle? A gap. A space. What does that leave open? Room for consequence. Room for the enemy to get a foothold. To do his work. Because now you don't have that presence, that hand, that fellowship with God that you had in a, unrepent, in a repentant heart. Enemy gets in the way. Sin has consequences. If you look all through scripture, you see consequences in different fashions of sin. All right, Even Hosea 14.1, when, when Hosea, the prophet Hosea is talking to the Israelites and telling them to return. And he says, return to the Lord. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. It's caused consequences. Even Zechariah and all the prophets to the Israelites had, had spoken to him for years, said, hey, come out of your sin. If you don't, there's going to be wrath of God. There's going to be consequences for sin. And there was the, the years of slavery, right, in Babylon that they had to return from. How about the sin of, of Achan? Talk about one man's sin affecting a group of people, a family, and a whole movement of the Lord. 
If you look at that passage, when, when the Israelites had overtaken Jericho and, and they were taking all their possessions, they were told to, to set it aside and use it for the Lord and not keep any for themselves. But this one dude, man, said, I'm going to take a little something of this, put it under my bed, right? <clears throat> Who knew? God. He knows hearts. He knows he sees everything, right? Nobody else knew. So when they go fight the AI, the, the, the nation of AI, the city of AI, and they lose, everybody's wondering what's going on. And then God points it out and said, one of you sinned. And it was Achan. Sin has consequences, and it caused a group of people to lose a whole battle for the Lord. Consequences. Genesis 2. Look at Adam. The word of God said that, hey, don't eat of the tree of good and evil there, that knowledge of good and evil. Why? What he said, what the Bible says, says, because on the day where you surely do it, you'll die. Well, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did they physically die? No, 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 no. Did they spiritually die? Yes. Did they mentally die? Yes. Consequence of sin, separation from God. Okay? I hope you get the picture of this, what sin is and the death. All right, and here's the problem. A life of unrepentant sin leads to eternal separation from God in hell. That's the truth of the gospel, of the Bible. A life of unrepentant sin live, leads to eternity separated from a holy God. That's the necessary, the necessity of repentance. So let's keep diving in. Let's go through this expositionally really quick as we see we're going to pull out some points here that we can take notes on as what are some truths about repentance from this passage. First of all, right off from the initiation with the description of the passage, we see that this is a psalm of David, and we know it's a prayer of repentance, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had sinned, okay? Who was Nathan the prophet? What was he doing? He was bringing a word from the Lord, right? First and foremost, repentance will always start with God's word. Repentance will always start with God's word. It's his initiation. It's his work in your heart and your life, not of yourself so that you cannot boast. Oh, you can't just say, oh, well, one day I just got a revelation myself and I just realized I was wrong and I'm just going to, you know, uh-uh. God has to do that. It's the product of the Spirit moving through his word in your heart and life. Repentance is not a work. It's initiated through God's word. Nathan gave God's word to David, and thus this psalm that we have in front of us. Second thing, as we get into verses 1 and 2, we're going to see is we must, a truth about repentance, we must submit to God's authority. We see in this first couple verses, he said, have mercy on me, O God. Because, I've, because he sinned. There was no self-justification anymore. It was man down and fall under surrender and submittance to a holy God. Because he knew God was the one that he had sinned against. He's going to say that later. And he has, says, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness. According to the, the multitude of your tender mercies. And aren't you glad that God has a multitude of mercies. Aren't you glad? You should be. Here's the truth. The multitude of God's mercies are always greater than the multitude of our sin. That's a reason to cheer. That's a reason to have joy. The multitude of God's mercy is always greater than the multitude of our sin if we will repent and fall under his authority. That's what David's doing right here. Again, he says this. He says, blot out my transgressions. Take the magic eraser and just get rid of it. It was God, and he was the only one that could do it. And he was trusting and knowing in his sovereignty, in his holiness, in his goodness. He said, I have sinned. He owned it. He was owning it. He wasn't making excuses. No excuses made. Then he says this. He gets into to this word wash, all right? So basically, the word of God comes to David, and it's like a mirror showing him 
who he really is, what he couldn't see for himself and what he was running from. Now he saw his sin for what it was. And he falls in humility and repentance. And then he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. This is important right here. So we get our third point, all right? In humility, we must fall under God's cleansing. In humility, we must fall under God's cleansing. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This word is significant. And you say, hold up, Brad, just wash. You're just talking about getting cleaned up. Okay, all right, a little bit. But this word wash, when you look at the Hebrew, is not just talking about dumping some water and some soap on somebody. That's not what it's talking about. Not it. Because here's the truth. We all know this. You can take a pig and you could wash that bad boy up, right? Get him all squeaky clean, soap him up, spray a little perfume on him. And then what's he going to do? Go right back to the mud. Why? Because, yeah, you washed him. You made him clean. But you didn't change his nature. Oh. You see, until the pig doesn't believe he's a pig anymore, he's going to go back to the mud. No matter how many times you try to wash him up and make him clean and make him not a pig, you have to change the pig's nature. That's what repentance wants to do. That's what David is asking for. Let me explain this word now. This Hebrew word for wash refers back to a process that was called fulling, F-U-L-L-I-N-G. It's a fulling process, all right? And it was a step in wooling cloth making that involves the cleansing of the cloth, all right, the wool, to eliminate oils and dirt and other impurities. All right, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? You want to know how they did it? Beat it. It was done with a club, or trampling to get that stuff out of the wool. That's the wash that David is asking God to do in his life. Hey, don't just wash me and clean me from this. Change me. Beat it out of me, if you will. Stomp it out of me, Lord. Oh, does that change the Bible for you right there? When you say, just wash me. No, no, no. Beat it out of me. Get all these impurities out of me. Change me. That's repentance. It's not just fleeting remorse over a one-time sin. And then you're good. It's a wanting and a desire for all of it to be gone. That's why it's of the Spirit of God and not ourself. He said, beat it out of me. Get rid of it. Verses 3 and 4, as we move on, we know that here we enter this confession. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now he's owning it for what it is. You see, he had been running from it, trying to make excuses for it, trying to ignore it, whatever you want to call it. The Bible says his heart was kind of filling up with pride and he was worried about just a, a census and, and, and running the nation and, and look at me, I'm big Dave, King David and I got all these people and it, and it caused 70,000 to die. And, and then because of the consequence of his sin, him and Bathsheba's child died. All right, there was consequences and his heart was hardening and he wasn't acknowledging it until God's word fell fresh upon him through the prophet Nathan. And here it is, for I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin. So number four is we confess our sin. Repentance always comes to the point where you confess. What is confession? This word confession means that you agree with God about what's going on. I want you to think about that. Confession is not just walking up to somebody, some, some priest in a closet and saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. Confession is acknowledging, God, I'm wrong. I see my sin for what it is, and I agree with you and your word for what my sin is. That's what confession is. Because by the way, it says there is no mediator between God and man except the man Christ Jesus. You don't have to go to somebody else for confession of your sin. You only need to go to Jesus and fall on your knees and cry, holy are you and I am not. And I agree with you about my sin. I agree with you about your word. And I see it now. 
That's confession. It's without excuse. It's without blame shifting. It's without rationalization. It's what a child of God would do. Or a person who was in the process of conversion through the Holy Spirit falling fresh upon him and seeing their sin for what it is and turning their life over to God. Repentance. Who did he say here? Who did he, who did he sin against? Behold, I've sinned against who? You. So I've sinned against you, Lord. That's who he had sinned against. And it was a brokenness in this realization of what he had done. Everything else kind of faded into the background. And, and we all know that, that really, in, in, in reality, David did more than just sin against God, right? He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his family. He sinned against the nation, the kingdom. He sinned against himself, right? First Corinthians tells us that, that all sexual sins against the body. He had actually sinned against his own body. He had sinned in many ways. But the, other, the ultimate realization was that, God, I have sinned against you. And it broke him. Have you ever thought about when you and I deviate from God's plan, from what God wants us to do, and we choose our own way, and we choose the world's way, or we choose what makes us feel good, or whatever? You ever thought about you just spitting in the face of God? Driving the nail through his hands? Driving it through his feet? That's brokenness. That's what he says here in these verses. He says that make me hear joy and gladness. He says that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So that's our fifth point right here is repentance will always lead to brokenness. We're not just confessing our sin and thinking nothing of it. It's a legitimate brokenness in our heart over what we've done, over our separation from God over our falling short of his glory. So that's inside this prayer of restoration that he wants. That's why he says, man, bring back this joy to these bones that have broken. That's the beautifulness that, that David knew that, yes, that, that God's healthy conviction and leading to repentance will lead you to confession, will lead you to brokenness. But then that brokenness, out of that, God gives joy Boy, that, that's just, that'll just blow your mind. And that's opposite of what the, what the world would say would happen. But it leads to health and joy in our heart, in our life, and rightness with God. David would pray that it would lead this brokenness to joy and gladness. We look at verse 10 and 11. As we're here, it says, created me. Here's this part. Created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. But it's a beautiful passage where he is leading up to the part where it says, hey, and it's why it's justified of why he said, hey, cleanse me, wash me again when he says that, make me whiter than snow in verse seven. It's this prayer of restoration. And then inside these verses of this clean heart and steadfast spirit, what's he asking for, church? What's he asking for? He's asking for a new heart and a new spirit. He's asking for a, a, a new life. He's asking for a new mindset. So our sixth truth of repentance is it's a change of heart, change of spirit with a new mindset and a new life in view. It's a change of heart, a change of spirit with a new mindset and a new life in view. Created me this clean heart, this steadfast spirit. What's he saying? He's saying what Ezekiel was saying to the Israelites in, in chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27. And that passage in your Bible says this, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Did anybody just hear that? What does God want to do? Ultimately, through repentance, through us coming to him, give us a new heart. Take out that hardened heart. Give us a new spirit. What will that new spirit do within us? Give us a desire to live according to God's word. Oh, you mean that's not legalism? Nope. It's a product of the Spirit. That's why Paul said in Galatians, live by the Spirit so that you won't what? Gratify the desires of your flesh. So you're free, but you do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Not my word, that's yours. In your Bible, right there. It's God's word to us. New heart, new spirit. That's what David's praying for here. It is a product of the spirit in repentance, in a heart of repentance. So now what I want to look at, now that we see these concepts, is what is repentance really looking like here? What do we see in this? We're going to pick up our last two points in a minute. But if repentance, if you look and you want kind of an encompassing definition, that it's an internal, it's a spirit-led internal resolve and determination to turn away from sin. There it is. It's a spirit-led internal resolve and determination to turn away from sin. It's a change of mind with a goal for a change of direction. There you go. That's repentance. It's a change of your mind through the Lord, through the Spirit, through the renewing of your mind. All right, Romans 12, okay? With a goal for a change in direction. I want a new path, a new life. A new spirit, a new heart. Stomp that stuff out of me, Lord. Get out of me everything that is of me, of of this world. And I only once left what's of you. Is that our heart today? What could God be trying to put his finger on in our life that maybe we just need to listen and repent? Say, yes, Lord, I acknowledge it for what it is. You want it out of my life is done. Help me, strengthen me to do this. Give me the new heart and the new spirit I need to walk forward in this. He'll do it. It's a new heart, new change of mind with a new direction. What it is, it's God's prompting of a man's heart to turn back to him. That's what repentance is. It's God's word, God's spirit moving in our hearts to return, to get in right relationship with him. Without that internal resolve fueled by the Spirit of God, there will never be any measurable, consistent, or long-term change. I'm going to say that again because that's important. Without the internal resolve fueled by the Spirit of God, there will never be any real, measurable, consistent, or long-term change. Why? Because then we're just doing His works. Then it's just our own do's and don'ts. I want to get better. I want to get better on our own. And we may do good for a season, but then we'll fall away. And if we're heartfelt God's spirit living in us, then he's going to guide us and direct us. It still doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up at times, that we're not going to fall, fall back at, at periods and points in our life. But our heart about it is different. We're not trying to justify it, make excuses for it. Blame shift. We're owning it. And we're trying to head the new direction. What was the message of, was there a message of repentance in the New Testament? You better was. Think of John the Baptist. Repent, right? That was his message. How about um, in Acts, all through there with, with Peter and even Paul? It was repent. The message was repent. It wasn't, oh, just don't worry about your sin. Just bring it along with you and come on. It was repent and fall under this. And that was everything we just heard in David's heart. But what happened here in this psalm with David? And it's the process that leads us through repentance. And here it is. It starts with being confronted in your sin. You'll never repent of your sin if you're not first confronted in your sin. David was confronted with God's word through Nathan. You and I are confronted with all of God's word today. At least we should be. That's why it's so important for you and your family to get in a Bible-believing, preaching church. Not just that preaches parts of the Bible, but preaches the whole Bible so that it'll lead you to repentance 
and right relationship with God. It's so important because many leave it out today. And it's a shame because some, some will go through a plan of salvation and you'll never hear one word about repentance. Why is that? Why is that? We're seeing here clearly repentance is necessary. One very renowned theologian said, talked about cheap grace. And cheap and grace is free, don't get me wrong. It's all about Christ and what he did. We don't have to earn it, do anything for it or nothing. His grace is free, but it's not cheap. Renowned theologians said that cheap grace is when you preach salvation without repentance. That's cheap grace. It means you don't have to do anything. You don't have to let God change you. You don't have to let God do anything. Matter of fact, you can have your sin in Jesus too. That's cheap grace. And it's not the gospel. Paul even said himself that Jesus didn't go to the cross, so we have a, a ticket to sin so that we're free to sin. And so should grace abound more? We just do some more sin so grace will abound even more? Absolutely not. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore is what he said. You got it? Got the picture of scripture? It's encompassing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. Let's read that really quick. 2 Corinthians, you want to see a, a picture of repentance? And some people think, get confused that there's well, I was sorry, so that's repentance. Well, there's a, there's a difference. There's a, there's a worldly sorrow and there's a godly sorrow, okay? Worldly sorrow is what we basically saw in Judas, all right? He was sorry once he saw what he had done to Jesus and tried to throw the silver back, but he didn't repent. Instead, he went and hung himself, okay? All right? On converse, when Peter realized that he had denied Christ three times and he was confronted with, again, the word of God, and he saw his sin for what it was, and he broke down in humility and repented, and God used that man. Big difference. See it? So just because you shed a few tears and are sorry doesn't necessarily point to godly repentance. Let's read this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. It says, For even... If I made you, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Here's verse 9, you ready? Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. See, sorrow by itself is not repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Did you get that? but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Mm, godly sorrow. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Is repentance necessary for salvation? For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. What did this repentance and godly sorrow produce? The clearing of ourselves, indignation, a vehement desire, zeal, everything David's talking about, joy, restore these broken bones, give me back the joy of my salvation. David didn't say, hey, give me my salvation back. He said, give me back the joy of my salvation. Again, that sin, that fellowship line broken when sin is entered, even in the life of a believer, if it's unrepentant. God wants to restore and renew that. It's necessary. Because here's the truth, and we know we've seen it in people. A lot of people shed tears when they get caught. They're sorry. But how will you know if they're repentant? If it's followed by change. You see, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance leads to action. Product of the Spirit. There's no blame shifting. There's no justification of sin. Nothing. It's bringing forth fruits of repentance the Gospels talk about. Actions follow the change of heart and mind. And it's a process. Let's be honest. 
And it's very different in all of us and even very different depending on the depth of the sin that we've been in. If you've been in drugs your whole life, okay, God can work a miracle and give you cold turkey and the next day you walk out and you're good, but I can promise you that's not normal. That this most times is gonna be a process and it's gonna take action steps, but here's the key. Here's the key, are you ready? Are you continually taking repentant steps even though you haven't reached the repentant goal? Here it is again, I'm gonna say to you, you might wanna write that down. Are you continually taking repentant steps even though you have not yet reached the repentant goal? You may not have broken that addiction yet, but what steps are you taking led by the Spirit to right the ship? That's it. That's it. Here's what I know. If you say yes to Jesus, and you have a heart that wants to say yes to Jesus continually every day, a lifestyle of repentance, he will finish what he started in your life. He will. He'll finish it. You don't have to do the work of cleaning your life up on your own. All you got to do is say yes to Jesus. Will you say yes? He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Redeemer. You don't have to work harder. Just surrender more right? He'll lead you on the steps of the process that you need to take when you surrender to him. He'll guide you. Keep saying yes and take that next step, next step of repentance, next step of repentance, because down the road is the goal of restoration, of redemption. Keep moving. Keep saying yes to him. Great example of do you have a heart that wants to repent or not is example of somebody who, who may be out of work, right? And they broke. You know what I'm saying? Ain't got no gas money. Ain't got no money for nothing. And they sell it. They're telling you, I want a job, man. I want a job bad. I just need a job. And they're broken. They're sorry over their poverty and, and over the fact that they're not providing, maybe for their family or even for themselves. And they're, they're, they're broken over that. They're sorry. They're, they're in pain. And they're telling you, I want a job. I really want to get a job. I really want to get a job. And then what if someone or you brought to them an opportunity for a job and say, here it is, here is the number, the dude you need to call, you need to get up with him, and you need to get this job. He's ready. I told him about you, and he's ready to hire you. Oh, great, man. Thank you for my Man, I've, I've wanted this for so long. And then what if that person takes that and does nothing with it? Do they really want a job? Why? Their actions didn't follow their words. You see, you can sit here all day long and you can talk, 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 talk. But if it's really in your heart that you want to change and repent, there will be a step of action taken. This step of action of repentance is through the Spirit of God moving you. Will you say yes to him? You take that step? It's submitting yourselves to God. As James 4 says, says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That's the passage that talks about, you know, to weep, mourn, and wail over our sin and humble ourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. But what does it start with? Did it start with just resist the devil? No. Why? Because you and I don't have the strength and the power on our own to defeat him. We Don't. We will lose. Why? Because he has a triangular attack on us. Okay, he has our flesh, he has the world, and he has his goons, these demons that are tormenting us. And he will defeat you. We only are defeated him, we only can defeat him through the power of God in our life. That's why it first said, submit to God. Have you submitted to God or are you just trying to resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil? You'll lose every time until you submit yourself to God. That's what David did in Psalms 51. I submit to you, Lord. Now stomp it out of me. Get this sin out of me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. So then we close as we look at the last couple verses here in our passage of Psalm 51. And in verses 12 through 13, he said he wanted this joy. This joy appropriate to salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's not mine, it's yours, it's you. You do the work in me. Give me that joy that I've lost because of sin. So our seventh point, if you were taking notes out of these eight that we're gonna get in repentance, is repentance brings restoration and joy. 
Repentance brings restoration and joy. It's not just to make you feel bad so that you're a bad person. That's a condemnation message, by the way. That's not of the Lord. The Lord's work in your life is healthy conviction, never condemnation. That you're a bad person, you're worthless, you'll never, you'll never measure up. God can never use you. That's of the enemy. That's not of your loving Heavenly Father who wants to convict you and lead you toward repentance to restore you and give you joy. Can you hear that message today, please? God wants to do all this in your life and mine so that we can have joy. And then what? David even alludes to it there. So then I can go tell others about you. So then I have this new joy in my life. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. If you don't have joy of salvation in your life, you don't want to speak one word about Jesus to anybody else. I can promise you that. That's a guarantee. You'll never want to do it. But if you have the joy of the Lord in your life and you've seen God work in your life, it doesn't mean you're perfect. Again, you're just taking steps on that repentant process. You're not at the goal, but you see what God's doing in your life. You want to tell somebody about that. I thought I just spit all over y'all. Good thing you ain't sitting right there. All right? Man, you want to tell somebody. You want to reach others, and then God uses that. It's beautiful. The end of the passage, I'm going to close this up. Verses 14 through 17. He talks about these animal sacrifices. And what does he say? He says, basically, that you don't desire a sacrifice or else I would give it. You don't delight in a burnt offering. Well, ho, 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 ho. I thought that was part of the whole mosaic law and and everything about, yeah, 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 it is. But did you see what David's getting at? I can make a sacrifice of an animal to you, Lord, but if my heart isn't right, don't mean nothing to you. I can do works of repentance. I can, do, I can do your do's and don'ts of your Bible. But if my heart isn't right with you, my acts are filthy rags. That's what they are. God doesn't want your works. He wants your heart. That's your eighth point. God wants your heart, not your works. Because when he gets your heart, the works will come. God wants your heart. That's what David was saying there. So then when my heart's right before you at the end, said then we can put those altar, those sacrifices on the altar, and then you'll be pleased with it. Because this is right. So what is all this? Those of you who are military, you know there's something called an about face, right? That's where I'm facing this way. Dude says about face. Boop. I'm going this way. Have you done an about face? at the call of Jesus in your life. I'm not going my way. I'm not going the world's way anymore. I'm just looking to you. Now, Lord, help me take these steps. Back to you. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, if you're still facing this way and walking this way, you haven't repented. Will you turn? You say yes to Jesus. Acts 3.19. You ready? Here's another one. Talk about repentance necessary. You want to hear it? Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Is repentance necessary confer- confer- conversion? Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, come on. Did that just encapsulate all of Psalm 51 right there? It did. Repent. Repent. Turn so that I can be converted, so I can be new. Hey, maybe you've walked with the Lord and maybe you've deviated in sin so that you can return to the Lord. Hey, I'm going to repent so that I can be refreshed from the presence of the Lord now in my life. That's beautiful. Why would we run from it? I'm going to end with this example and close us. If you're traveling, going home. And you should be going south, but you're going north. What do you need to do? Around. But let's just say I'm going north, and I realize I'm going north, or maybe I don't, and I just don't care. I'm passing all these signs on the road that say I'm going north realizing I should be going south, but somehow it doesn't register to me. I'm just driving. 
And I'm passing opportunities to turn around and go back. I'm passing exits. And I'm passing things that say that I'm going to a different place that's not home. And maybe I have a GPS today in my phone and I'm out of reception. So that like dude or chick with the annoying voice isn't talking to me, right? Because I don't have the reception I need. So I'm not aware. But then all of a sudden I come out of this dead zone. And I hear that voice. Go 100 feet and make a U-turn. Go 100 feet and make a U-turn. Then you pass that. Go one half mile to make a U-turn. What if I didn't listen? Go in the wrong direction. But then maybe, just maybe, what if when that voice come and it opened my eyes to the signs I weren't seeing along the way that, hey, I am going the wrong direction. What did that just do? It confronted me. It confronted me in my wrong direction. Then what must I do? I could ignore it or listen. You see, if I'm convicted, I start the lane change of conviction, right? You see, I can be convicted but still not change. You see, as I'm convicted, I need to start making my way over on this big highway so that I can take an exit if I want. You see, so I work my way over. I'm convicted, but I'm still going a wrong direction unless now I decide to take the exit. Let's call it the exit of confession where I realize and acknowledge my sin before a holy God and I decide I'm going to see it his way. And up at the top of that ramp of confession. You see, I'm not going the other way yet, am I? What do I have to do? I have to get on the other side of the highway and go the other direction. But you see, I can't do that on my own. Somebody needed to do something for me. They needed to make a way. Jesus made a way. Let's call it the overpass of grace. Grace overpass. So now at the top of confession ramp, I can, through his grace, cross over the highway, and he provides for me now a ramp. Let's call it restoration ramp, where I can now go down and get back on the right direction in the path so that now as I'm driving, I'm heading the right direction. Here's the key. I get down on this ramp. I've done driven so far away. It was only one step across to get back on the right way. But now I I may feel like I'm miles away from home. But it just feels different. Because now the signs I pass have my direction on it. Now, when the GPS, call it the godly positioning system, goes off in my mind through his word, it says only a few more miles to your destination. Keep going. You're getting closer. I'm going to tell you what, when you get on the right path with God, your life just feels different because you're going home. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I wonder if there's anybody here that might say, Brad, I need to take an exit ramp right now. God's speaking, and I want to say yes. Maybe there's somebody in here that exit ramp is the first time to say yes to Jesus and salvation and surrender your life to him, to take that grace overpass, to get back on the right path that only he provided. You can't do it on your home. He made a way. Will you do that today? I'm going to ask you to pray from your heart to God's heart and mean business with God and know that it's not words. Again, we've talked about that, that save you. It's not just a magic prayer. It's about a heart that's ready to repent, to surrender, to turn to a holy God. And say, God, I'm yours. Will you do that for the first time today? Or you may say, Brad, I've done that previously in my life. I've walked with the Lord, but lately I've deviated. I've drifted. I've I've gone the wrong direction. And I need to come running back today. I need to get off on that ramp of confession. I need to take that grace overpass. And I need to get back on the ramp of restoration and start heading back home. I need it. If that's you and you need to rededicate your life today, would you pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart? So to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life, just say, dear God, right now I admit to you that I've been heading the wrong direction. That I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. 
Thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, God in the flesh, to lay down his life as the perfect lamb that was slain, where his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of all mankind. Lord, that I could be forgiven, restored, renewed. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God and that no one took his life, but he laid it down of himself and he took it back up. And he's standing and sitting in heaven in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want to claim that same victory right now in my life. Lord, I need it. I need you. I need your strength. I need your direction. I need everything that you want to give me to bring me joy and restoration in my life. My commitment to you is from this day forward, I live for you. Give me a life of repentance, saying yes to you. Amen. If that's you, you meant business with God. You did business with him right there for the first time or rededicate your life boldly and unashamed. Will you just raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God today, and I need you to pray for me. Amen. Impact. Let's give the Lord a big round of applause for his word. These people are still doing business with the Lord. His word changes lives. I hope you have a little more clear definition, understanding of what repentance is and the necessity of it in our our walk with the Lord and that it's healthy. It's what God uses to bring us joy and restoration. So let's take this word and let's go ahead and make an impact with it. So what we talked about today is this, is God's going to meet you where you're at. You don't have to get your life right first. He's going to meet you where you're at, but he's not going to leave you where you're at. He wants to change you. Keep saying yes to Jesus. Next week, we dive in to Revelation. Now that we have that understanding of of repentance, we can go forward and understand why God's wrath comes if we don't repent and turn to him. And we see the signs of the times all through scripture, and we're going to be diving through that and looking through that, and I'm going to teach that the best way I can. So be ready to come back for about 10 months straight, because it might even be a year. I don't know how long, but you're not going to miss a Sunday, right? We're going through Revelation. Say, honey, we got a planned vacation. We're being back Saturday night because I'm going to be in church on Sunday. There you go. All right. Go make an impact for Jesus. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.